Okay. <laughs> the reading today is Exodus 2. <clears throat> now a man from the house of Levi went and took as, a as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? When Moses was afraid, then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father rule, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word, and we ask that as we turn to look at it this morning, that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand, and the desire to obey it. 
and that we might see Jesus, who is high and lifted up. In his name we pray, amen. Well, do you ever wonder if you're floating, if you're wandering, if you're running, you're fleeing, you're going through life, questioning, where am I going? What am I doing? Why am I floating like this? Uh, there's lots happening in my life, lots happening around me, but I'm not really sure why it's all happening to me. I can't really make sense of the details. I'm not really sure how all these events in my life are going to work out. Last week we had dinner with some friends and we were just going to know them and they asked to hear our story. And we started to talk about all the places we've lived and all the places we've moved and they were a little overwhelmed. And we said, tell us your story. And they like, well, <laughs> we went to UT as undergrads and we've been here ever since. Uh, <laughs> and we said, man, we've done a lot of wandering, a lot of floating. Uh, you may look at your life and say, you know, I've got dreams and goals and aspirations, but I'm not really sure if I'm going to reach them. And if I do reach them, I'm not really sure if what I achieve and what if, I if, if what I accomplish is really going to be all that I hoped that it would be. Jim Carrey has said, I hope that everybody achieves all their dreams and gets super wealthy so they can realize that that's not what life is about. Well, if you wonder what all your floating and wandering and running through life is all about, you're not alone. This is a common problem to every one of us. It's a human problem. doesn't matter if you're a Christian here this morning and you've been a Christian for a long time or if you're somebody who is exploring the claims of Christianity, this is our problem as humans. Does our life have meaning and significance and worth? Is there somebody who's watching over the details of our life? Are we just going from one thing to the next, doing one thing after another, trying to fill up our lives with some sort of meaning? Well, today in Exodus chapter 2, we're going to learn that all of the twists and turns, all of the ups and downs, all of the unknowns of life, that it does have meaning, that there is a God who's in control of all of them. There's a God who reigns over all of our circumstances. There's a God who is involved in the intimate details of our lives. And we see a beautiful picture of that in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus 1 introduced us to the problem that there is a Pharaoh in Egypt who doesn't know the people of God, who doesn't care about the people of God, who wants to extinguish the people of God and has a three-pronged approach to get rid of the people of God. Number one, oppress them and make them slaves. Number two, kill all of their male babies at birth. And if some escape, number three, kill them in the river once he finds out that male Israelites are still alive. And Exodus 1 introduces us to this struggle, that this is far more than an economic struggle or a nationalistic struggle or a militaristic struggle. This is a spiritual struggle. Which God is going to be victorious? Will the gods of the Egyptians win or will the God of Israel win? Will Moses' God, as we'll find out, be victorious or will Pharaoh's God be victorious? And now in Exodus chapter 2, we learn of a baby who has been saved at the birth stool and now is three months old. And as a three-month-old is getting loud, is crying, is fussing, is making too much noise. And so the parents decide that they're going to do something about it. And they decide to release him, to release him down the same river 
that the Egyptians want to drown him in. And they put him in an ark. It's actually the same word, the same description of words used to describe Noah and his ark. They put him in a mini ark to see if this mini ark will be the means to his salvation or will bring about his destruction. So as they put him into this mini ark, they're hoping that he might experience new life. And surprisingly and shockingly, as his sister watches from a distance, somebody picks up this mini ark and looks into the content. And not to destroy what's in the ark, but to save and to rescue what's in the ark. Pharaoh's daughter rescues Moses. Now, we don't have all the details on why she did it. Scripture is silent. Maybe she herself was barren and she wanted a child. Maybe she was also oppressed in some way. Pharaoh would probably have lots of daughters, not all of his uh, own birth, but maybe by adoption. And maybe uh, this was a political uh, daughter. And maybe she had been oppressed as well. Maybe she was an orphan herself. Maybe she had lost a sister or a brother. We don't know the details, but we do know that she has pity and compassion on this little one. And isn't it strange, and isn't it mysterious, and isn't it wonderful that as Moses' parents release this little one in his ark, that the one person who finds him, the one person who rescues him, is the one in Egypt who can take this type of holy risk, who can go to the Pharaoh and say, this is a baby that I want to adopt. She does something illegal. She takes a great risk herself by drawing Moses and this ark out of the water. And now on dry land, she names her risk, Moses, Moses. I've drawn you out of the water. I've rescued you from the water. I've saved you from the water. And that's your name, and you're going to be mine. And immediately somebody appears who can help care for this little one. Miriam, Moses' sister, says, do you need any help? She says, yes, I'd like some help. And we don't know the details as to why she wants or needs this help, but she agrees to help. And so Miriam brings this baby back to his own mother. Can you imagine the joy, the release, the freedom that this family experienced in now having this little one back in their home, safe and secure and protected, protected by Pharaoh himself? And so for three years, mother and child, nurse and nurture and train and support one another. And on top of that, Moses' mother gets paid to do it. What an amazing gift. She gets blessed economically to care for her own child. What a beautiful picture of God's kindness and care and concern for his people. Well, after three incredible years, Moses must be released again into further training, further nurturing, further education, further support to become the leader that he's supposed to be. He is prince of Egypt. And he'll be entrusted as one of Pharaoh's sons for the next 40 years. And what's interesting about Moses is he doesn't really fit in anywhere. He's not an Egyptian. And so he doesn't agree with all of the policies and all of the procedures and all of the uh, convictions that the Egyptians have. 
He's a stranger in a strange land. He's a foreigner in a foreign land. But he's not really Hebrew either. He can't go home. He can't be with his people. And so he's living in this in-between world. He's adopted. He's not fully Hebrew. He's not a slave, but he's not fully Egyptian. He doesn't completely align with them. We don't have all the details, but we know that Moses has compassion. Moses has pity on his people, just as his mother had compassion and pity upon him. And one day, Moses sees Egyptians mistreating, oppressing his Hebrew brothers. And in a fit of rage, Moses acts. He strikes a man. He kills a man. He takes life. And Moses knows exactly what he was doing. That's why the text says he had to look to the left. He had to look to the right. He had to ensure that nobody would see what he was about to do in his anger. And he buries this man, hoping that it would be done, hoping that nobody would know about this, hoping that no one would see him. Moses is lost. And maybe some of you can relate to Moses. You don't feel yourself at home. You don't feel at ease really anywhere. You don't feel at rest in life. You feel a little restless. You don't feel like you fit in. You feel like you live in some sort of in-between world. And if that's you, and especially if that's you and you identify as a Christian, you're in good company. Because all Christians are just like Moses. We don't fit in really anywhere. We're part of this in-between world. We are members of a different kingdom. We're journeying toward a different land with different goals and objectives and values than the kingdoms of this earth. We are strangers in a strange land just like Moses. But Moses, after this fit of rage, after he strikes this man, his act is known. The act that he wishes were hidden is not so hidden. People saw, people know. And the next day, people confront him. They don't see his action as admirable. They despise him. They taunt him. They ridicule him because they don't want someone like Moses being lord over them. A sellout, a traitor, a prince to the oppressor. They don't want somebody who's been raised in Pharaoh's household telling them what to do. And so Moses, in fear, flees. He runs. He wanders. This baby who floated, now as an adult, flees. And he finds a home with the Midianites, who themselves are wanderers, who themselves are nomadic. He finds work with them, tending their sheep. He falls in love with one of them, marrying Zipporah. He has a son with one of them, naming that son after his own life, after his own experience. I have been a stranger in a strange land. He wanders through the desert with them for 40 years. He lives among them. He identifies with them. Moses, the great leader of Pharaoh's house, is now a despised shepherd. If you look at Genesis, in the book of Genesis, it says that there is no vocation more despicable to the Egyptians than being a shepherd. And now that's what Moses is. The prince of Egypt is now a despised Hebrew shepherd. Moses, the heir of the great cities in Egypt, is now a nomad 
Moses, a wealthy prince, is now a poor wanderer. And for 40 years, he wanders with these people, the Midianites, knowing them, loving them, caring for them, identifying with them. And we don't know during these 40 years if Moses was sad or happy, fulfilled or empty, frustrated or full. That's not the point. The story isn't ultimately about Moses. The story is about God. After 40 years, the people cry out to God. After 40 years, the people are fed up. The people are frustrated. The people are full of all of the oppression, of all of the slavery, and they begin to cry out to God. And after 40 years, God hears. God sees. God remembers. God listens. God knows. God acts. He will not let his people suffer as slaves any longer. He will respond. That's the point of chapter 2. God hears and remembers his love for his people, and he's going to act, and he's going to respond. And for the last 80 years, God has been preparing his people to be rescued. He's been nurturing and training and educating a leader to go in and be the deliverer of his people, to send Moses right back to the place where he fled. Who but Moses knows the Egyptians as well as he does? Who but Moses knows the desert as well as he does? Who but Moses knows sheep as well as he does? Who but Moses knows how to wander like he does? Who but Moses knows how to protect and care for others like he does? Nobody. For the last 80 years, God has been hatching his rescue plan to send Moses back into the place where he was nurtured for 40 years to rescue his people. God's hand has been upon Moses since his birth, through his floating and his wandering in the river, through all of his training and education in Pharaoh's household. And now for the last 40 years, throughout all his wandering and all of his tending of sheep in the desert. God's hand has been upon him so that for the next 40 years, he might do exactly what he is called to do. Be the leader, be the redeemer, be the rescuer of his people. Moses' story is a beautiful story. It's an amazing story. But as we read the Bible, we have to read the Bible as a single story. And here's something that happens when we read about Moses' story. If you just look up Moses' name in the Bible, it just doesn't show up in the Old Testament. It actually shows up in lots of places in the New Testament. And in one of the places in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, it says that Moses didn't desire the riches of Egypt. Moses didn't want to be identified with the wealth and the power and the position that he had in Egypt. Rather, it says that Moses wanted to identify with Jesus and his people. He was willing to reject the power of Egypt, the wealth of Egypt, in order to suffer with Jesus and his people. And what the author of Hebrews does for us is something very strange and very interesting and very necessary to actually read the Bible correctly. The Bible's not about Moses. The Bible's about God. And in Moses' story, we learn 
about God's way of working in his world, of sending redeemers and rescuers and saviors to his people. As great of a savior, as great of a rescuer, as great of a redeemer as Moses was, and we're going to learn about all the ways in which Moses goes and boldly proclaims God's name before Pharaoh. But as great as Moses is, Moses' life points us forward to an even greater savior, a greater rescuer, a greater redeemer. Moses, even back then, said, I identify with God and with his purposes, even not knowing how all of those purposes would unfold. But one day, God was going to send another Moses, a greater Moses, who's going to come and live with his people and identify with his people. And as the story plays out, cause an exodus for his people, lead his people out of a greater bondage of sin and death and evil and rebellion to a greater new life. That's what Moses' story is about, pointing us forward to the greater story of Jesus and his salvation. And so as we think about Moses' story for our own day, as we think about how we can apply Moses' story to our own lives, here's a few things that I want us to take away from Exodus chapter 2. First, take holy risks. Take holy risks. Life is full of, of lots of risks. Life is full of lots of wagers. Life is full of lots of choices. Take holy risks. We see this in the life of Moses, his parents, his sister. It was risky for them to release him down the water. Not knowing if that water was going to drown him or if that water was going to rescue him. God honored their holy risk. God was with Moses in his floating. God was with Moses in all of his wandering. God was with them and God is with us. As we take holy risks in his name, God is with us. Second, like Moses, you're a stranger in a strange land. So just own up to it. You're a stranger in a strange land. If you're a Christian, your identity is found in Christ. It's not found in anything else. It's not found in your accomplishments, your achievements, your status, your position, your power, whatever. If you're a Christian, your identity is in Christ and you are a stranger in a strange land. You're not primarily male, female, white, black, Latino, Asian, rich, poor, young, old, conservative, liberal, American, immigrant. You are Christian. That's your identity. That's your name. Your life is hid in Christ. Your life is grounded in Christ. You are a stranger in a strange land. Who better to keep Austin weird than Christians? Okay? We're all weird. We're all strangers in this strange place. And you'll never be a stranger in this place like you should be until you realize that your identity is in Jesus. Until, like Moses, you pass through the water. And when you pass through the water, the Christian water of baptism, you have a new identity. You have a new name. You have a new life. So you can go wherever God calls you in this strange world and be a stranger there. Loving and serving neighbors, caring for the poor, welcoming the immigrants, protecting the fatherless, receiving the widow, providing for the orphan, loving the stranger, defending the helpless. These are all strange things in our world. 
Oh, that we would live in a world where people actually did those things. That's the type of world. That's the type of culture. That's the type of community that Christians are called to be. So be a stranger in a strange land. Moses was, Jesus was, and through him, you and I can be as well. Third, remember that God is in control of your life, not you. God is in control. What, what a beautiful affirmation of faith to say God is in control of all the details of my life. You may feel like in your wandering, you're floating, you're running, going from job to job, place to place, relationship to relationship, that you may not have a sense of purpose or value or significance. Realize that God is with you in the messy details of life. When you run to him, he'll make your path straight. When you seek him, he'll shine light on your path. When you pursue him, he will begin to show you how all of the twists and turns of life fit together. Fourth, cry out to God. Call upon his name. That's what we see the people doing at the very end of chapter 2. They cry out to God. And lo and behold, God hears. God listens. God sees. God acts. Cry out to God in prayer. Prayer is one of the strangest things that you and I will ever do. You want to be weird? Pray. You want to be weird? Pray. Because prayer is an acknowledgement of our dependence. Prayer is reliance upon someone else. Prayer is admitting that things are outside our control. Prayer is admitting that we don't have all the answers, that we are not wise in and of ourselves. Prayer is saying that we need help. And honestly, we're not very good at these things. We need to learn how to pray. We need to learn how to cry out to God. And when we do, we cry out to God who listens to his people, who's been listening to his people for ages and for millennia. People who, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and Jesus, have cried out to him. And God listens and says, I will remember my promises. I will keep faith. I will keep covenant. I will keep my steadfast love. So when your life is out of control, cry out to God, to the God who listens, to the God who cares, to the God who sees, to the God who acts. And then finally, go when God sends you. Respond to the needs of those around you. This is what we're going to see in, in Moses' life. God is calling Moses to go, to go back to Egypt. And Moses, as we'll learn, says, I don't want to go. I, I kind of like it here. I'm kind of comfortable here. And God says, I will be with you. Go. So when God calls you, when God sends you, go. God will use all of your experience, all of your circumstances to love and serve others in his name. Only Moses for the last 80 years was gifted and qualified and ready to go lead the people of God for the next 40 years. Because all of the experiences that Moses had had for the first 80 years of his life were preparing him for the next 40. God has uniquely gifted you in certain ways to care for others. And so go. When you hear of needs, when you hear of calls, when you hear of asks, when you hear of requests, go and love and serve others in his name. God will be with you, just like he was with Moses. 
God will care for you just like he cared for Moses. God will use you just like he used Moses. God is always with his people in all the details of our lives, even and especially in our wandering. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you were with Moses. And we thank you that you are with us. And we thank you that your life and your presence is most known to us in and through your son, Jesus Christ. And so we ask, Lord, that we might learn to follow him wherever he sends us, that we would be people who go, that we would be people who respond to the needs of those around us, seeking to love and serve others in his name. For Christ's sake we pray.